Coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado, it's the Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mummy Fox and Christopher Savage Bull Landauer. Welcome to episode 36 of the Savage Cast. Picking up where we left off in the last episode, I got the chance at Gen Con 2019 to interview the crew from Atomic Ninja Studios about their upcoming Dead End project. In this second part, we get into some really cool infestation deck mechanics that I'm sure you're going to want to try out at your Savage Worlds table. So without further ado... Is it said? I think all of us have multiple things in the pipeline. I know you guys will be talking about dinner about projects I cannot mention on air. Um, <laughs> but it had been what 20 years in the making, 15 years in the making, seven years in the making that we'll see the light of day eventually. But you know, we don't, you don't talk about them because you, you want to build the hype. There's also the fact that, at least for us, kind of coming out of the gate, I think that if the group we have publicly known, Dustin Smith, myself, Jared Gunning, and, and Jeff that at that point, if we don't release Dead End as our first product, our fans are going to riot. Like, we understand that going into this. Um, With that said, we still have put the production pipeline in place where right now one of the things we're the most proud of is the fact that on the 15th of every month, there's a new one-shot adventure that you can pick up from us for literally less than the cost of of a a cup of coffee. You know, for $1.99... Every 15th, you can pick up, through Drive-Thru RPG, a one-shot adventure. They're typically between three to five pages long. They're they're in the one-sheet style, but they're a little more robust than a standard one-sheet. Um, we give you the outline. It's a full game you could run for your for your players, regardless of what you what else you're doing. You could pick it up and do it as a as a one off. You could pick it up and, and insert it into the middle of something. And we're doing this across genres. We've done supers. We've done fantasy. We've got I know at least three different cyberpunk ones are either done or have already released. We've got one that's that we totally just, underserved. Yeah, I mean, there's really only Interface Zero. Mm-hmm. And they're going to continue to come out on the 15th of each month. Yeah, I, I, I will go out on a limb right now and say, as of the last time I looked, there are six complete ones in advance of where we are right now. So we've already got six months worth of releases printed, done, through editing. The, we have a agreement with layout so that those go out to the, the layout artist. A full month and a half before they have to go out to the the player base, so we have got a production line in place now mm-hmm. to continue to serve our one shot wonders line. We have at least two new products in our Atomic Ninja Presents line, which people would know the adventure archetypes that we released. Well, that product is going to be pulled back in, redone, and we're going to re-release that with 
some updates to it. You know, a lot of people asked us, hey, is this something that you're concerned about? Because we released that right at the tail of Suede kind of dropping. Right. And it's like we had had Suede for, for a little while before the general public had it as aces, but there were a lot of churn there. Oh, yeah. And we did notice after it went out and into production, there are, I believe at last count, five errors in that document. We've released a little bit of errata to people through Drive Through RPG, but that's a product that if you've bought it from us, you're going to get an updated copy. It just has to fit into our schedule for when we can get that over to layout and get those corrections made. Because I don't want to just give you, oh, and here's a little notepad that you can have with the document that tells you on what page this is a mistake. No, we're going to reprint that entire product for you. And that's a free update for anybody who's already bought it. And then we're going to start releasing additional products in that Atomic Ninja Presents line. And it's going to be, these are that's our line for the products that help support you as either a player or a game master at the table. So the first one was Adventure Archetypes. Right, and that, and, and that was funny. We talked a little about some criticism against that product. And another, the, the response was overwhelmingly great for it. And I'm glad to see you guys put that out as like a, you know, welcome to publishing. Here we are, guys. That was do. my first official edit for Atomic Ninja. Oh, right. <laughs> that one, the first one's always a doozy. When you realize what actually goes into just the detail, like this, it, it costs money to make mistakes now. That was the one yes. that I went into work and I said, I'm so excited. I'm a published editor. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, and that's, that's, that's a barrier to break. And it is a profound one. It's, yes. So congratulations. Um, it was the same thing with Buccaneer for us. I was like, you know, that was the barrier breaker. I was like, oh, we can do this. I mean, yeah, sure, mistakes were made, da 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 da, da. Oh, but it's a barrier breaker, like, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's a great idea is that a strategy that you guys are doing is I think your Kickstarter will be immensely more successful because you've documented it even as, I mean, you're no new person in the community. You have an established name. You have provided not just commentary, but, like, actual solid crunch to the community for years. Uh, but beyond that, like, does that mean you can print a book? Does that mean you can fulfill a Kickstarter? People don't know. And they're like, well, no. We've done every single month, done a release. They're high quality. The reception's been great. But it's proved all the skills. It's literally a proof of concept. It is not a, oh, no, no, I like what he says. I like his opinions or I like his ideas. No, no. Like, we can do this. We have... Yeah, we're now building that back catalog that when people ask, are you going to fulfill this, I can point to it and say... We've been fulfilling for the last, you know, six to nine months, every month on time. So you have a track record that you can point to at that point. Um, one of the other, I mean, amazing things we, we've had the luck of working with, as we talked about him earlier, Carl. And Carl has brought the same professionalism and design to all of our products, whether that's the $1.99 Adventure or it's the 999 Adventure Archetypes product, or even, you know, Savage Eyes One Shot Wonders, which was a collection of five separate con adventures. We wrote those specifically so that you could take that book, stick the book in your back pocket, show up at a con, and just run a game with just that book. We wrote that, and then that product is free on DriveThruRPG for anyone who wants it. Because we wanted to say, this is what we're going to give you. This is a representative of what you can get. 
And now, yeah, sure, these others we're going to charge a dollar ninety nine for, but you can you can find out how good they're going to be by downloading this one that's five of them and it's free. Right, and I think that's exactly what we looked at Jumpstarts as. We're like, we cannot miss this opportunity because this is going one. Not only is it free to all those five thousand people, but it's going to them. And it's like, yeah, no, we need to step up and show this is what we can do now. This is what we've learned. This is the level. And I, I've seen other people complain because, you know, there's there are producers in the industry who are like, well, I think my ideas are good enough. My People should just pay me for my ideas. I'm like, that's not the market anymore, guys. You have to have first class art, first class layout, first class editing, and first class advertising, and a really good Kickstarter and fulfillment cycle. And those are all very different skills. Oh, absolutely. Now, I, I will say um, I, I have amazing things to say about the rest of the Aces community. Um, it, once you're in that community, you're completely accepted by the other Aces. And anytime we've reached out, we've had the suggestions that, that you get from the other Aces who've been down that path. So when we were looking for somebody to do something, when we were looking for different art, we could get those suggestions immediately through that community. So that's been great. The other, you know, huge benefit to being able to, to reach out to them is we can do the crossover products or we can do the crossover promotions where, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about something that's not public knowledge yet. We have a deal right now in place. We've spoken with other podcasts and we're going to have features of, of Dead End on those other podcasts. And your partner in crime, Chris Fox, and Scott Welker, who's known from our podcast, are both going to be writing adventures for Dead End I can't wait when to we take those. that to Kickstarter. Right? Those are going to be awesome. Well, and that's the thing is like that, that is part of, I mean, seeing, and yeah, we didn't establish, but seeing other people do that, like, yeah, man, there's a lot of great cross pollination. Let's formalize this. Let's really push this so that we all have a buy in to as many other projects as possible. And that floats all our boats. That allows advertising that's genuine and not manipulative uh, to, you know, to, to reach out to community. Like, like listen, I, I like this product because I've chosen to write for it. Yeah, you know, none of us are making fantastic money doing any of this. So it is a passion. I mean, you know, we always put more into any of these projects than you're ever going to like rationally see versus a day job. <laughs> and um, but again, we, we care. Like I care about SWAT being good. And that's why it's worth it to pay a printer to put out, put on a nice cardstock cover, put it in high gloss paper, and get it delivered at the last minute so I can have something to hand out to people and be like, this is real. Because that's the thing with the PDF. The PDFs all look great. They're, I think Aces, I'd say more than 50% of the, the Ace kit jump starts to me were like, awesome. Like, this is great. Good job, guys. The bottom 50% were like, I hope this improves before the Kickstarter. Or, I, you know, there's just you know, there's certain things where it's like, mm, yeah, you know, compared to what Pinnacle's doing, that's not Pinnacle quality. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, that might be some other kind of company's quality, but it's not, you know, this would, I wouldn't confuse this for a Pinnacle product. I want, and I've seen like, like Dead End looks fantastic. I, you could say Dead End looks like a Pinnacle product. Not like you're, you're aping style or whatever. It looks the same quality. The art is there. The layout's there. The stat locks are well thought through. The content is consistent and fun. I mean, it just, it just has a certain level of quality where, you know, it's not, oh, this is my home campaign, but I've never let anybody edit it. And I've never let anybody else bring the art to life. I really <laughs> want you to use my pencil art because I did it in third grade. Like, <laughs> I, I'm laughing because it's it, getting Jared to let go of GM for the playtesting. 
and give it to me because I'm pretty new at Savage Worlds GMing. I've been a GM for years, but Savage Worlds, I've played because I wanted to play. I didn't want to run. And um, it was getting to a point where Jared knew everything. It was all in his head. So there was stuff he was doing that wasn't in the book and we kept pointing it out to him because I play tested since just after he first started and this was all oh, good grief. Dead End has been in development for six years? No, seven? no, no. Dead End has been in, ve- in development for about four and a half years. Okay, four and a half. But it wasn't in development to, to be a published product right. until about two. Right. But anyway, getting him to let go of the reins for someone else to run it mm-hmm. has been interesting. Um and even as a player, there are times that I have to go, Jared, shut up. I'm running it now. <laughs> right? And I don't think I, I don't make a better product because ultimately Jared is not going to – this is a scary thing. This is a profound uh, realization that when you release a product, you will no longer be the game master that's run the most of it. Yeah. You'll have a fan out there who will run more than you will, well, let alone all the other people who will run that. You will no also, longer be – I can yeah. take a look at the document – and go, wait, this is supposed to run how? Well, it says, it doesn't say that. Yeah, we've gotten so much better feedback by not having one of the people that's working on the product being the one running those playtests. But I, I think there was absolutely that realization moment of, this has been our baby and we're holding mm-hmm. it close to the chest. And sure, we would talk about it on a podcast or we'd tell a story, we'd bring people in to, and let them play it. But no one had gotten to run Dead End. No one got to see all of the book. Um, about six months ago, uh, I made a, a decision wow. after we did the the Suede rewrite. Um, and the book in its entirety, the complete with the GM section of the Beastiary, went out to all of our playtesters. Mm-hmm. They had never seen any of the GM side of what was in Dead End yeah. up until that point. And when we did, they started to find things about that section that Jared was either running different than was in the book or just weren't we weren't using and underutilizing. And we've been able to make such a better product by doing that. So I think that's one of those things I would say to any ace out there is have the confidence to let go of the product enough that... It can stand on its own two feet, and you can start seeing where its real problems are and also where its real strengths are, because then you can play to those things. And don't necessarily be afraid to let a newer GM be the the playtest GM. We don't necessarily know all the rules, but we're probably going to find the spots where it's the most confusing for a new GM. Oh, and that's that's, that's (laughs) the thing, though, too. You think about it, the vast majority of people who are ever going to play your game aren't going to be playing it when you're running it. Yeah. They're going to be playing it when the new GM's running it or their friends, the game master's running it. It should work for them, too. Jeff's been quiet. Jeff talked more at dinner. So, Jeff, tell us, who are you as a game designer? For Atomic Ninja or in general? Uh, your philosophy on game design, what you're doing on the project, what you think about gaming and writing. Well, I've been I've been gaming, per, personally, I've been gaming since I was about 10. So, I mean, it's 30, I don't know how old I am, 37 years. I was going to say, you're 47, dear. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> He doesn't look it. I don't, asso- I don't associate myself very often, and <laughs> not by choice, so I forget these things. But um, I, I'll be honest, since we're talking, since it kind of ties into what we were just talking about, the next setting Atomic Ninja is releasing is something that I've been working on. 
It's a, a sub. It's something I've been working on for probably since I was around fifteen, or so, or so. So, so the so it's a passion project. So this is small. A, this thing. is something I've I've pitched before. I've started several times. I've um, shown off. People have played, and I've run this um, several different places with probably twelve different groups. And no two groups ran at the same. No two groups <laughs> did it the same way. So, one of the decisions that we had made as a company when we were discussing it, when we had one of our lulls in dead end, was I am I have written the setting out, and I will never going to run it ever. I am not play testing in it. I'm not. I will watch the play test. I will not be a player. I will not be a GM. Mostly because as a GM, I know the setting. So if I'm running it, I can't tell you where the holes are. I know anything I didn't write, I'm going to just skip right over because I know it internally. As a player, I'm going to be so focused on what I can do that I'm not going to see the reactions. I'm going to miss the questions. So when the game is being run, and right now we're looking at Dustin is actually thinking about play, uh, being our playtest GM for it. Because uh, I'm too close to it, too. Yeah, yeah She's actually played it a few separate yeah. times. There Mabel's been through several of the incarnations of the game, and she would do the same basic thing. And she's written bits of it herself in just, in, <laughs> just in playing. I mean, I can't Some say it's... Some of my characters will be in the fluff. I can't say that uh, like I can't say that it's my setting anymore, because it's my setting that I've started writing, like I said, when I was 15, and I wrote this with my um, my ex um, and my original my original girlfriend and our original gaming group set up the bones of this. I ran this through college, so there's a bunch of it that I built um, sitting there in the basement of the quad in Brooklyn College with my co- with my friends, and then online I ran it. I ran it through RPOL. I ran it through the old Zan Super Home. Uh, I ran a whole bunch of different stuff, and so it's a world. To you. Yeah, it is a world. It's oh, it's very much the, a world. The difference, the difference in building this product versus Dead End, is huge because you can definitely see that mine has been worked on for way longer than say Dead End was. Dead End was a great setting for Jared, but that's his passion. But when we started really looking into it, the fluff is my job. For Atomic Ninja, that that's where my eyes shine. I am not a rules guy. Anything you see in anything I've written, Dave has written all the rules. Dave will set out the NPCs because I'm not good at it. I have to sit there for literally five or six times as long as he does, and then he has to correct me anyway. So Dave handles. He corrects everybody anyway. That's yeah. like his savage job. I mean. Yeah. You're like Savage Whiteout. I was, Whiteout, I was tagged the Savage Maven by Scott before I was even on the podcast because of the fact that I was constantly in the community answering questions for things. But, but yeah. uh, you know, it, Jeff, Jeff focuses so much on the lore aspect of things that he would prefer not to have to worry about the mechanical crunch of it because he just wants to write the trappings layer and for me to come back in and, and just make sure it works the way he expects it to. Jeff, he doesn't want to end up having the trappings layer look too much like the mechanics. Jeff can take a skeleton and flesh it out into something amazing, story-wise. I'm a storyteller. and that, Jared that's will give him three been. lines and say, run with it. Yeah. And he comes back with paragraphs. 
Yeah, it, 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 that's where I shine. That that's always been my thing. My uh, my my characters are rich. They have backstory. They have motivations. You you very rarely get a character that I'm that I'm putting into something that's just there because. You know, you don't wonder why is this guy here, and you know it kills GMs. For, it kills GMs when I play in games because <laughs> I will make characters and I will give them that full motivation, and then I will be that player who sits there and goes, "Okay, but I wouldn't do that. This character would not do that." Well, you need to figure out a reason why they're going to stay here. Well, I can also just make a new damn character because this character <laughs> wouldn't yes. do that. And if yeah. if you make me force this character into a, into what you needed to do then it's not my character anymore, and I have now no interest in playing it. So I, I love it, and I think it's a very healthy way to play role-play games in general. Um, I think when you, and a certain system that will remain unfucking named when you could multi-class and take a level of everything, <laughs> to me, that killed the narrative. I liked it mechanically, because it got back to a point by system. Like, I prefer GURPS and Savage Worlds, because if you want to be a character that can cast a spell and carry a shield, like fucking Gandalf, with a sword or whatever, <laughs> not a shield, you can't do that. You, yeah. you, you can't do it. But to make it a level of this and a level of that and a level of this, in that, and the way that system worked, the narrative made no sense for that. The yeah. mechanics made sense. If you had to do that to pick and choose what you wanted... But narratively, I'm a third and a half level four tier to this, and I wanted that. Yeah. You know, I mean, that yeah, turned me off. Well, there's a reason that you run the Savage Cast, and we're the the Savage Worlds GM mm. podcast because we're all passionate about that style of play, where Savage Worlds legitimately doesn't care. It will just find a simple rule structure to put underneath of that story you want to tell, and you know. I, I know we've talked about how Jeff is the is the story guy, but legitimately the stuff I've seen him pull off both at the table and also in the books where he comes up with some of the weirdest things. There's a section of Dead End that literally was a parody song he sang as a joke one day that became an entire subset of a city that is going to be in the published setting that people are going to be able to experience. Oh, that's SWAT. SWAT was a stupid pun I said during a GURPS game. We were playing <laughs> GURPS Cyberpunk, right? So we're playing more modern, futuristic modern, you know, mono-wire katanas, and, but there's also ogres. And I was like, oh, are we the SWAT team? Spells, weapons, and tactics? Got a stupid chuckle from across the table. Was enough validation for me. That's a setting 10 years later. <laughs> like, I, I, didn't, I didn't touch it in those years. I'm still trying to talk Jared into letting me sing that theme song that oh. they just spoke about as right? part of things. Absolutely. It's, I mean, <laughs> but that's the, that's the thing. Is that inspiration can come from anywhere. And obviously, this is meant to be parody and tongue-in-cheek, and you guys are kind of going in a different direction. But actually, horror isn't that different than comedy. I think... Somewhere in the deep lizard brain, they kind of poke similar stuff. Like, people will laugh in horrible situations oh, or cry in very similar ones. Oh, the test. All of us playtesters, we lean into the sock. We embrace it. But at the same time, like, you could mistake some sessions for Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, we, had a, we had an actual series of characters that came up through one of the playtest sessions where one was the the, shall we say, dumber-than-usual, fat, obese guy that didn't necessarily have any confidence in himself and, you know, kind of had that, almost that trucker body type. And alongside him 
was a was a thin rail thin kind of construction worker guy, and they legitimately they legitimately <laughs> came off as Tucker and Dale from that movie, yeah. and we had so many jokes about that. While at the same time facing what is, at least in my opinion, from everything I've played in Savage Worlds, we have hit a grim, dark tone that I think surpasses Call of Cthulhu. I do not think anyone in Savage Worlds is is in the spot that we're going to hit with Dead End. And it's always funny to me because... You see on the Facebook groups or originally in the in the Google Plus groups where people were saying, well, Savage Worlds does cinematic or it does pulp. It kind of does fantasy. It can't do horror. It can't do investigation. And yet Dead End, over the years, well, Dead End started out as almost kind of a zombie land meets Walking Dead. It's become very much a survival horror experience that happens to have some zombies in it. Um, and when we made a design decision on Dead End, the zombies have no stats. They have, a, you know, no skills. So everything's an unskilled role for, the, for the zombies yeah. because the zombies are supposed to be that. And when you think of a zombie, you don't think of the stats that are in the core book. If you look at Suede's stats, they're fantasy zombies. They're those magically risen mm. creatures that have a high toughness. They, you don't have to destroy the brain. They don't move at a slow pace. They can actually walk and take multiple actions. When you play Dead End, the zombies, moving is an action for them. It consumes <laughs> one of their actions. Um, they can't attack you. They can grapple you. And if they've got you grappled, then they can bite. They can't actually reach out and scratch you. That's not what zombies are trying to do in our setting. So the zombies have been remade from the ground up to capture that experience we wanted, which harkens back to the original George Romero. And for Jeff and I, we were huge fans of Max Brooks's um, Zombie Survival Guide. So the people who are fans of World War Z and the the Zombie Survival Guide are going to see a lot of that in this. I will interrupt for a moment just to say... Fans of World War Z, the novelization, not, not World War Z, the movie, because they are completely different animals. If you read Pitt them, who kills zombies with charisma. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, for people who don't understand that, the World War Z movie, these are running, these are infected, these are running mm-hmm. infected maniacs who are trying to tear things limb from limb, while. Zombies survival guides and World War Z's written zombies are the slow moving. These are these are not. They 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 walk. They shamble. They do Your not anxiety, climb. Yeah. Not they do not use doors. They so, do not climb ladders. They do not swim. These are just forces of nature. They are slow moving. You can walk away from a zombie horde and get away because they're not faster than you. The problem is you have to stop eventually, and they don't. The dead end leans into survival over zombies. This is not, I want to go out here and smack zombies with a golf club. You absolutely can, but it will get you killed eventually. It's This is not, this is not zombie land. You can play zombie land in it, kind of. You have to tweak it to do it, it written as, as intended. This is something where we're really showing you the real monsters in this game are the people sitting around you at this table and the NPCs you are going to encounter. When you're out there and there's one can of food because everything has spoiled, 
and you are surrounded by rotting corpses, not even zombies, rotting corpses from the last zombie attack. There is one can of food and no water, and there are six of you in your group, and the next place to scavenge is probably about a mile away, and you hear the zombies in the distance. Hey. That's when you start to really sink into what dead end is. This has happened in the playtests. <laughs> and I'm not in the playtests, to be honest. Gets... Dead end, I cannot... It, I, I probably shouldn't say it, but I will. I cannot play that end. I, 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 with, with the mental illnesses that I suffer and depression, suicidal thought tendencies, the whole nine yards, I cannot play dead end. I have enough trouble writing dead end. I cannot play in it because if I do, I am in, a, I am in such a mood where I am unbearable for days yes. afterwards. I cannot get it out of my head. It is just – I can't watch horror films. Because of just how deeply they affect me. And everyone in Atomic Ninja and the playtests have been very nice about it. They understand my limitations. And yet, I'm the one writing the lore. And I don't skimp in the horror. There are places that are good. There are places that are bad. There are places that are absolutely hell on earth. And you will get to visit them. (laughs) And, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it. Some of the interesting things we've done with Dead End that... No one knows because sure, there's a jump start out there, but the jump starts. We were told we get, we're, we were given a page number, a page count. Oh, you guys, I love I love jump start. It looks fantastic. I mean, yes, the the we were given a page number. It said eight to twelve, eight uh-huh. twelve, and we made a, a, a choice. This is why our SWAT jump start. If you look at the dates on it, when it was released on the fifteenth of whatever April or May, whatever I think it was April. Um, the last edit was April was because the creep from release round one through two through three, there were jump starts in three that should have been just published products. Like you, this is a book guys. This yeah. Is, 30 pages. Right. This is everything you've done. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the aces were legitimately releasing mini settings yeah. as their jump starts. And we were told eight to 12 pages. Yeah. So we kept it very tight. Right. So there's a lot of stuff that we've been playing for years that the general public still doesn't know about. You know, Jeff was talking about you've got one can of food and six party members. We actually have mechanics in the game that reward you for being altruistic and taking a hit to your character's survival to be altruistic. But then we also have mechanics in there that allow you to be selfish. And we have not just some hindrances that are written along those lines. But we actually have a kind of a morality mechanic in the game that can lead your character down a really interesting path where you develop kind of flashbacks of the moments where you've been selfish. And that comes back to, to haunt you later on in the game. But you can suddenly find your character with a lot of extra food because you chose to be selfish and let somebody else take the hit for you. And we, we've really tweaked that concept to a, to an extent that we find exceptionally entertaining, but again, your group has to go know going in. This is not a high-action cinematic game. In fact, what, what we've often told people, because we get approached, what would you play? And our answer is, Dead End is going to be for somebody who wants a very grim, gritty survival experience. If you want a high-action Zombieland game, we would push you to War of the Dead. We absolutely love that Lee's released that and is getting ready to do another season 
of um, adventures he's getting ready to come out with because what we see this as is we're doing one style of zombie game. He's doing another. We're not competitors. We're both going to let you play in different playgrounds with zombies. Yeah, I picked up season, uh, the, his first one, the, that first year or whatever it was of his game, and I compared it to what we were doing because I had we hadn't really looked at it earlier on. This was Jared's baby, and he was doing it. So we didn't look at the rest of the stuff. Then it came to a point of, are we duplicating someone else's work? So we, we got his thing and we looked at it and realized, no, these are totally separate projects. Like the one comment about Dead End that has to be my favorite, I'll have to paraphrase it because I don't remember it exactly, was someone complained that he couldn't run this as a – he could totally run this as a one-shot, but he would could not run it as a campaign for his group because of just how dark it is. And that made us all smile because that's exactly what it's supposed to be. If you want a dark, really um, kind of viscerally frightening experience, that's dead end. If yeah. you want to play Zombieland, well, yeah, War of the Dead is absolutely the way to go. It's beautifully written. It, it's got everything that you need, but it's not the survival experience that a couple of comments that I've seen have said, like, I want more survival in it. I don't, I, I, I want Walking Dead. I don't want Zombieland. So we leaned in more towards Walking Dead because we figured there's enough people out there for both. But, I mean, and, and, and it's, it, like I said, it, ours is dark. His is dark. There's a couple of scenes in his that are extremely dark, very well written. Um, there's one scene in one of them just there's finding like zombie children or something in a basement. Yeah, yeah. That is a scene I read that and I had to put it down because again mental illness. But I mean that was horrifying and totally appropriate to the setting. I applauded that. I can't play it, but I loved it. It was amazing. Uh, yeah, Neil Heine ran that for us locally. He made all of us have families. So I played a total douchebag character, mini min max kind of thing for their selectively good for the setting, he was playing a survivalist, one of these doomsday preppers, which would be a perfect character for a zombie thing because, oh yeah, they know all this shit, but they're also not really legit, you know? Um, but he and his wife, and his wife was a hunter and trapper, so she has all the skills he really didn't have, and, but she's pregnant. And then the other, one of the other characters has a daughter and a wife, and the daughter is kind of the one that was the cure, possible cure kind mm -hmm. of you know, character, and you know, the other characters were married to each other, and it's just like, that hostage-taking ability sort of thing where it's not just your character, but your character's spouse or their kid, or this is your kid, but also the possible savior of everybody. So then, you know, the daughter got kidnapped as a possible source of the cure. So then now you've got, well, the zombies aren't. I mean, the evil state, the, the, the scientists who kidnapped your kid, now they're doing all these experiments on her against your wishes, against her wishes, and they might not even be nice to her. Or are they really using her for a cure? Or are they using her to create super soldiers? And yeah, da, 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 all that great stuff. Um, ch change that game. It wasn't oh, yeah. just zombies. It was, oh, this is psychological horror. This pushes buttons for real life emotions and family and death and exploitation and relationship to job and you know, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, what? To, to lay the groundwork yeah, for the no, story she's about the, to tell, we've actually included um, dependent and things like that as hindrances you can take mm. so that you can have that experience of 
there's someone who's only surviving the apocalypse because of you, whether that's a spouse or a child, or it could also, you know, be something else. You could be an elderly grandparent or even, you know, you were a nursing home worker and these are the your charges that you've taken care of for the last several years and now you're ushering them through the apocalypse. So we've we've made some suggestions Young of what love those dependent apocalypse. And then <laughs> the flip side is as an edge, you can purchase what's called Prime for the Apocalypse, where your character can yes. be that doomsday prepper. And we had talked initially about doing like a bug out bag, and then we we changed the way gear is handled, and you'll see some of that when, when the setting comes out. So now this Prime for the Apocalypse removes what we call the everyday people rule. Now, if those who have the, the jumpstart will, will know, you're limited in character creation. You can only have one stat or trait at a D8, period, across the board, everything else tops out at a D6 because you're an everyday average oh. person. We didn't want this to be a story of how the former soldier, you know, Rambo, you know, Green Beret guy um, handles the, the end of the world. We wanted the story of soccer moms and pizza delivery boys. And Mabel came in and had a and had an amazing character and unfortunately the character died in quite literally the very first scene she ever played. Oh yeah. She was Welcome ripped apart. Yes. She was ripped apart by a pack of ravenous dogs. These weren't zombie dogs. Fifteen was, minutes into the game. It was dogs that have survived the fall of mankind and now aren't being fed by their owners, so they've turned ravenous. And they well, just fed by their owners the same way. Yeah. <laughs> and fed by their owners' corpses. So yes. we found ourselves in a position where now she's 15 minutes into her first session and doesn't have a character. So Jared just slides a character to her that had this dependent. Um, and I'll, I'll let her tell you the, the actual details of this character because... The dependent came about in such a, an amazingly dirty way that that has <laughs> been a, it's been a great story for us ever since. She didn't have the dependent when the character was handed to me. She had guilt. Uh, what is that hindrance? Guilty. Um, where something has happened in your past. Guilty replaced it because okay. we, they didn't have that hindrance at the time, and okay. it's come up. I can't remember it, what it but, was, but her sons had died. In the apocalypse. And she'd had to put them down. Um, after she joined the group, we came across this little girl in our travels. And the I think her the little girl had a dad at the time. So, so uh, help me remember you, you're, this. You're, you're having some problems remembering. I will set the scene. Mabel's character had starved and started out with a hindrance that she was a cannibal. Mm. So she yeah. had actually res well, was, resorted to cannibalism. Yeah, had a secret. And then... She came across this little girl and her dad asleep, and she bit the man. And he jumped up and ran from her with his daughter, and in fleeing from her, ran in front of the party driving a van and got hit by her van. Ooh. Yeah. Orphaning the daughter. And then Mabel's character enters in and picks up the dependent. Yeah, because the daughter kind of took the place of the sons that, that her, her guilty... Hendrix went away and she gained dependent. That's because she now had somebody. That's literally picking up a dependent. <clears throat> yes. Well, and the whole party has buy into that too. And then they yes. ran over the I kept that, that extra till the end of the campaign when she ended up 
basically down an elevator shaft and I had to try to go get her. Oops. <laughs> because Jared's good and if you forget you've got an extra, that extra is going to do something. <laughs> yeah. Allied extras in at, at that table, especially because of it being dead end, we're going to make sure that they're drawn into the game. And we highly su- suggest this to, to GMs when they run it is if you've got a group of players and they're not utilizing that allied extra, the allied extra should do something stupid. stupid. Yeah, right. Um, because it is the it's end of the world. It's got to generate something somewhere. Like, mm. It's not a stat in the character sheet, guys. It's a narrative device, so it's got to be telling a story. Yeah. The, the other one I was thinking of, though, was Lloyd's character. Yes. That with, with the son and, and daughter. And again, this was another situation where we had a player whose character died and was handed an NPC, or really he was given the opportunity to pick up an NPC, and he picked up an NPC who had a full family in the apocalypse. He had a mom, a dad, two kids... His wife had died and turned, and he had to put that character down. So this is a backstory he's handed for this character. We had one of our playtesters say, absolutely, he took the character, he upgraded it from an allied extra to a, to a full-fledged uh, wild card, and then the following week, he tweaked the, the stats on it, brought it up to the same power level he had been playing at, and then progressively over the next several weeks, we tested that dependent um, mechanic that we've put in place, because... We now have it set up where if a dependent dies, it causes a mental anguish check. And that's, again, that's a mechanic people haven't seen yet. They're going to get to see we've written an entire sanity thing that we're calling mental anguish where your character can legitimately have the um, the Rick Grimes experience of seeing their dead wife all of a sudden because you've gained extra hindrances that are mental derangements. And thankfully... Um, Dustin Smith is works in the mental health field, so he was able to bring a lot of real clinical knowledge to us when we started writing that out. So that's an interesting aspect of the game. But now we've got these characters that we handed to this guy, and then we started taking them away. Oh, and he leaned into it hard. So, you know, the, the mother goes off and commits suicide oh, because she can't face the apocalypse. The dad is killed in a encounter with another group of survivors. One of the, the children one of the children wanders off in the woods and gets surrounded by the undead up a, up a tree and the the party has to go and rescue him. And this became this progressive whittling away of everything that that character had to live for and that allowed us to do a real in-depth test of what does that dependent hindrance really allow you to do for a character? And where do, where can the mental anguish system take that character? And that player loved it. He leaned in. He started playing the character. Slowly over time, he added megalomania to his character, mm. where he became the apocalypse for anyone who he ran into. And it was such an interesting playtest because it gave us this, this sense that we were on the right track. We had players who saw what we wanted to accomplish with this grim setting, and they enjoyed it. And when and they would lean in more, well, we Where else are you going to get that kind of character arc? Like, you know, when you're... I mean, one of the, like, if you're playing Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones, I mean, I, I hate the observation that, like, uh, it doesn't matter that Indiana Jones is even there for an entire movie. Nothing fundamentally outside of his own story would have changed <laughs> whether he was there or not. I hate that observation. But, and again, it's almost like he's the same dude at the end as he was in the beginning. He had a profound experience with the supernatural and the biblical. 
But he's still the hero, and, you know, he still hands him, he's still a professor, and, you know, whereas in this arc, you go from a normie, pre to a family, and to, like, playing a character who's a megalomaniac Avenger type, or a Wrath of Justice, or even just an evil character, whatever you want to call that, well, how do you get there? Well, you get there because you're... Food is not secure. Housing is not secure. Your own identity is not secure. Oh, yeah, Your his, family's not secure. His farmhouse burned down too. That <clears throat> was actually my character's fault. Tell me about his dog, because really, that's kind of the only thing that no, there wasn't a dog. There was an the entire that farm had. that was taken by the right. by the military. Yeah. They took the the family farm away because it was a source of meat. His dog ate your character in the first scene. Is that how that happened? <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about the infestation. Shall we deck talk before? about the infestation yes. deck publicly? That we you have on the podcast, you've mentioned it. I've mentioned you that it exists. I've never talked it. about it. We can we can kind of round about it, kind of just tease it a little bit. All right. I, you want me do to you it? want me to talk about it as as uh, as the GM? No, because you'll probably say more than this you is this is true. I'm bad about that. I mean, the idea um, for you know one of the things that for Dead End that was one of the bigger problems is it is a brutal setting, but a lot of people aren't brutal GMs. No, they're just not. They 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 like their players too much, or they go, oh, you know, my player. Like I'll, I'll do this from personal. If I were to start throwing stuff like this at my players in my old group, they would quickly just not want to play anymore because I'm picking on them. I'm being personally mean. It's a zombie apocalypse. I have to throw zombies at you. It's part of the game, but <laughs> no, I'm being mean. Well, Jared. Jared embraces mean. Jared can't go five minutes without going, and you got bitten again. You just it, it, It's one of those things, but not everybody's Jared gunning. Thank God. I mean, <laughs> uh, but... Um, I mean, that part we in, love you, Jared. Love you. <laughs> you can't fire me, I'm part owner. But, uh, Hi from uh, Gen Con, how's Vegas? <laughs> But um, no, one of the one of the, the the initial design problems that we had was the fact that since Jared was really the only GM running it at the time, he couldn't get we couldn't get across to players how how would you run it? How would you run it? What's the difference? And what kind of ate Jared up was the fact that we had to keep reminding him, you made the game, but the game's not for you. You can't be at everyone's table. We're, you know, we're, we're not putting a little virtual Jared Gunning everywhere so that Jared <laughs> Gunning can sit there and go, bite him again, bite him again, kick him off a rock. <laughs> so we Gen actually... Gen 3025. <laughs> buy a miniature Jared Gunnings in a bottle. Grow your own character. <laughs> Gen Con exclusive. Yeah. yeah. So you know, the zombie variant Jared Gunning for the exclusive Gen Con version. But we came up with a mechanic... Funko that, Pop! Jared Gunning! <laughs> uh, we've come, Can his head get any bigger? <laughs> probably not. But... Uh, one of the things that we came up with, though, was a way to to kind of take that responsibility off the off the GM because players also tend to lean into it more if something happens. If you said, "All right, I'm attacking," and I looked at you and just went, "And you missed," and I did it to you seven times in a row, you just start going, "Why am I bothering?" Yeah. But when you roll the dice seven times and you miss. All of a sudden, it's out of your control. Yeah, it's almost an epic event. Yeah, you're just I'm like, being picked on. What are you doing? This is yeah. your choice. Yeah. You know, you start switching dice, or you start oh, doing, yes. you start looking in funny and just go, "I just can't roll well today." But you don't get, you don't really get upset about it. So we've actually put it in a mechanical way to keep the narrative going, to kind of 
push some of these worse events in there. Dave's mentioned it before on the podcast a couple of times. The infestation deck sounds really scary, and it is. It is a very scary mechanic. It is not your friend. It is absolutely not your friend. And it's not supposed to be your friend. And what it really comes down to is it's a great artificial aid for a GM. I don't really want to be mean. It also kind of lets the GM play along. A lot of GMs will will put their own NPC into a game because they want a little bit more, you know, they want to feel like they're playing too. The infestation deck then kind of acts as a co-GM. You know, you're the nice GM, and he's the bad GM. You're the one who keeps the story moving and saying, yeah, all right, this is this, and I'm going to set you the scene. And then the bad GM leans over and goes, and there's four zombies there. The infestation deck is that bad GM. This is the one that really wants to go, and you're going to fail. So I, I, I will take the, the reins here for just a moment and, and talk about that infestation deck for a moment. Um, we saw something that was an opportunity there in looking at the way Deadlands had had the fear level for a long mm-hmm. time, is this idea that when you go into Atlanta, there's going to be a lot more zombies than when you're in you know, a small country road in the backwoods of Georgia. There's just, there's more people in a city, therefore there was going to be more of that. So the infestation deck ties directly to the infestation level of an area that you're in and becomes Ooh. the the Ooh. way yes. that you know, yeah. like, the characters decide, well, we're going to raid this Walmart in Indianapolis outside of Gen Con. You know, you're running an adventure that happens here at Gen Con, and they go, okay, but there's 70,000 extra people on top of the 300,000 or plus that live here normally, and then it's a million people in this city because people came into work and things of that nature. So now you've got all those people in this small area, and you're going to go to the Walmart. Okay, great. Right, That's yeah. going to be a great opportunity to get food because no one was able to escape the city with those supplies. But the reason they were able to escape the city with those supplies is because it's an infested area. So now, unlike where the GM is mean to you and says, you're facing more zombies, you're facing these other things, instead you've got a deck of cards that you flip up that tell you what the situation is. And this can actually take the exact same adventure that you've run, and when Mabel runs it, her players make different choices... And therefore, there's different cards that get pulled. Or even if they made the exact same choices, because it's a deck of cards, it's random what came up. So her players are going to have a different experience running the exact same adventure, even if they make the same choices that your players make, just because of that random card draw. And we tied it to card draw, because that's such an important aspect of Savage Worlds. And we said, you know what? Let's Let's take it a step further. We tied it not just to any deck of cards. The infestation deck replaces the action deck. And the worst stuff happens on the cards nobody wants to draw. Yeah. So the deuces, the threes, have some of the absolute worst effects you're going to see. Because if that card comes out and is part of the infestation that stays face up on the table, it takes it out of rotation. You can't have that now be a card that's in the action deck. And just like... The jokers, when they come up to affect the game, cause a, a shuffle. Now, when they come up as part of the infestation deck, 
they can also cause a shuffle. And they have some really bigger effects. Well, that's fantastic. And I, I think... I think that might be the next trend. I mean, you guys are definitely there at the start of it for Savage Worlds is a lot of us have put a lot of crunch into Benny's. A lot of crunch into Edge's, Hindrances, Arcane Backgrounds. Oh my God, so many. (laughs) That's not the magic I want. I want it, right? (laughs) How many games have screwed with the cards? Seriously. As a GM that has has run the Infestation deck, I will admit, I start a game with a general idea. I will have... Okay, we can have this NPC. We can have this... This is the type of zombies I want to appear during the session if they come out. But that's about the extent of my prep. So the infestation deck tells me when those zombies show up. The infestation deck, honestly, is going to be a game changer. And especially... And it's quite fitting for where we are right now, <laughs> for a convention circuit. Yes. You know, as a GM, as all of us are GMs here, we've all run for the same adventure over and over. You know, you get to a point where you're running the same adventure at Gen Con for the 19th time. You know every inch of this thing is what's going to happen. The infestation deck cha- turns that all around. Your first group of players, you turned, you you flipped a couple of cards over, and they are they are out of bullets and starving. While the next group now has two gigantic zombie hordes that are coming over the horizon, and they've realized that they're completely out of places to scavenge in this area just because it's picked clean. The next one, they've got a zombie that's been following them for the last four miles that is screeching up a storm and calling in other zombies. You know, or perhaps even my as- personal favorite, because it's a part of the game that doesn't get used, we've got cards that set the weather. So oh, you can suddenly have oh, your player that, characters. That, you can suddenly have your characters facing a storm in the midst of trying to get from city <laughs> during, to city or something. That's during fantastic. dinner, I told you I haven't killed a character yet. Gravity has, and <laughs> yes, I told you yes. about yeah. I eight characters in the last playtest campaign died from falling. Three, two of them. Well, no, nine characters because one was an extra. Yes. Um. They were in Manhattan in a tower. Infestation deck had drawn a weather card. There was a snowstorm, a blizzard level snowstorm outside. They're on the 23rd floor. There are three zombie hordes underneath them. They are out of food. They decide they're taking the fire escape down. In a blizzard in Manhattan on the 23rd floor. Because yeah. they are brilliant people. They because <laughs> there were no stairs As inside. I said, our playtesters lean into the suck, so they're going down this fire escape. So it goes from twenty-eight days later to what was it? The day after tomorrow was that the one where they're yeah out yes. running the, the permafreeze? Yeah. Yes. Yep. So one of the guys oh, getting no one's onto the fire escape, that. carrying the unconscious extra trips. What? <laughs> it's one of the reasons the and infestation deck is just so much fun is that <laughs> it throws in so much extra and it's even the GM doesn't know yeah. what's coming up there, you know. It 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 just takes so much into that to just throw it out there and go, and this is just what happened. And some of the cards are even open to more interpretation. You know, it they're they're some of them are just very general. Where you can go, okay, and this is for here, and this is for there. And then some are very specific. And, you know, almost almost in every case, it's just punishing. 
The best part of the mechanic, though, like Dave was saying, our locations will tell you, like, oh, well, this is kind of the threat levels of the area. You know, like we said, you're in the backwoods in an area between two towns that have a combined population of 60 people. You're not going to run into a lot of stuff, but you're going to run down the street. Of, you're going to run down Brooklyn Street in the middle of the apocalypse and, you know, start shooting guns in the air. You're attracting things. But that's one of the other things that the infestation deck does is, since this is, is a survival game, when you start doing silly things, the players will be punished. Well, right, and that makes sense. Like, I mean, that genre punishes you for mistakes and punishes you for not succeeding well enough and punishes you for what you don't know and punishes you for forgetting <laughs> what you do know. That's what that genre is. Yes. That's entirely appropriate. That is the great metaphor for life and death that zombie horror is. You know, entropy, it only gets worse. Yeah, and, and the deck, so far in all the testing, people have really liked the deck. And it's, even when it's punishing them, because it is just that, it's, it's creative, but it also makes sense. If you're going to go out there, for example, you know there's zombies around. And if you've gone ahead and gotten yourself a crossbow and sharpened up a piece of metal to make a, to make a makeshift sword, and you're going to creep along to try and get rid of the two zombies in the corner, then you're golden. But if you're going to go out in the middle of the street, cock that shotgun and fire off two, you know, two uh, rounds from a sawed-off, well... Every gunshot is a draw from the deck. Yep. Oh, that's fantastic. Every yeah. time you, it's a draw from the deck. Every time you butcher a live animal, that smell of blood and meat, that's a draw from the deck. And there ain't no Ziplocs food storage in the post-apocalypse after about a week, buddy. It's like, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. all killing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, killing with heat. So did you guys consider balance with the deck or say balance ain't a part of the post-apocalypse? Screw it. No, this is a chaos deck. This is so, I, I will I will speak to that. The balance that I built into the deck because it was a, it was a long time getting a, the deck to feel right. Um, and we're on yes. the fourth version of the deck now. Um, initially, it wasn't tied to the uh, initiative deck, the action deck. Mm-hmm. It was just a second deck of cards. And then we realized, well, we also use the adventure deck. So now I'm asking you to have three decks of cards at the table. It started to feel like a little overwhelming. Um, we even had moments where people were just drawing from the wrong deck. Yeah. Logistically, yeah. you know, and okay, well, that card's now been burned as far as you, you know, I can draw the queen because they drew it on accident. So um, it, it's gone through a lot of play testing to get to where it is. So balance-wise, we're not as concerned because of the amount that we've seen it played. Yeah. But initially, we got a lot of feedback of, well, wait a minute, this is happening too often, or this isn't happening enough, or we've seen this same card, you know, this many times, yeah. and we realized, well, no, that was because we even made errors as playtesting GMs where we were shuffling the deck too often and things like that. So it's really gone through enough steps now that we've got a version of it that we're very happy with, especially now that it is tied very closely to that initiative deck because now, again... As you're taking some of these cards out, and, and I'll, I'll reveal one more piece of information about the deck that we haven't talked about publicly, there are active cards. These are cards that come out, they get turned face up, and they sit in the middle of the table, and they always affect everything that's happening until you do the thing that's de- detailed on the card to get rid of it. That's cool. But there are other that are instant, that have an immediate effect that happens right now. And like one of my favorite cards that I put in there is Spoiled. And it's, mm. you turn that card up, 
and instantly you're rolling dice to see how much food oh, you lose because it's all gone rancid in the bottom of your backpack. That's fantastic. The reason I'm groaning is the playtest that we discovered that Jared was actually running the infestation deck wrong. Oh, there was supposed to be a discard pile? We had that card come up six times in a row. Yeah. You have no food, thanks. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, every time they got any kind of new supplies, the next time a card was drawn, lose it all. Yeah. And it just... Within it hours. Made, it slogged the session down. But at the same time, while people did say, yeah, you know, that came up too much, nobody was really upset that it was coming up as yeah. much as we just... Are there more cards we seen the other cards? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and that's where the balance really came from is through a lot of playtesting. And that's something that I don't think um, I, I can stress enough is we knew going in, Dead End was a different animal. This wasn't some happy-go-lucky setting where we could throw together some edges and some hindrances. And six months after we came up with the concept, we could release it to the public. You know, Regardless of the logistics of pulling something like that off... We just didn't want this setting to go out there until we were sure it played right. So it's got a playtest every single Friday night for the past four and a half years. Yeah. And we're yeah. just starting the second playtest with me as GM. Yes. Yeah. We're, oh. we're probably now at this point, if we were to separate that into seasons, the full campaigns that were run with the, with the system... We're probably at about season 12. Wow. Yeah, and something like that. For the most part, some of the players have been around for a lot of seasons, but we've tried to make sure we're rotating a new player in every about three or four times through to make sure we're getting those fresh sets of eyes yeah. so that we're not somebody that remembers too much about the way it used to work. So we're testing that newer yeah, version. There's, there's that inertia, and that's the, yeah, no, absolutely the truth. The, and I found the same thing with, I mean, switching gears, but I'll come right back, um, with trying to compile the Swex to Suede changelog was I've seen so many iterations of both, but yeah. mostly of the new stuff. I don't remember what the new stuff was <laughs> six weeks ago. Oh, and yeah. so I had to go page by page with Suede and Swex to refresh. Oh, wait. That is a change, but it's a change I'd already processed. It's a change that was new to me three weeks ago, processed it, and moved on. No, this, this is still new to anybody who hasn't looked at this document And yet. that was a that was a much bigger issue for you because you had seen um, Suede, I think, before even the Aces community really had because you were part of that playtest community. But even as Aces, we all had Suede, I want to say about three months oh. prior to the general public seeing it. And then when the Kickstarter happened, there was such rapid fire changes. That's when I rewrote all of Dead End because we realized we've got a Savage Worlds Deluxe product. Mm. I, I can't release that now in, yeah. the, in this environment. Oh, yeah, the jump, everyone's jump ship. Um, so we found ourselves with a product we legitimately couldn't replace and or release. And at that point, I was looked at by the other guys, and we're like, so we have to do this for Suede. And they're like, well, I've got this, or I've got that. You know, people had day jobs and whatnot. And I said, well, I guess I'll jump on that hand grenade. 
And legitimately, I broke it down and rewrote the entire setting in two weeks. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Because I needed a version we could take into rapid playtesting to make sure that Suede still was able to capture that same feel. And we had, up until that point, we were still using the Realms of Cthulhu gritty mm -hmm. damage rules. Yeah. Which, for people who aren't aware, you cannot soak wounds... And you make an immediate vigor check against the damage every time you're hit in order to avoid incapacitation. Mm -hmm. And if you fail, you go right into the incapacitation yep. track. Which that was why that one um, character died. <laughs> and what that meant was legitimately the joke was, but it could genuinely happen, you could get a paper cut in dead end and, yeah, and fall over dead. Yeah. Um, and we liked that, but it doesn't really work. With the way Suede is now written. Yeah. And so we had to recreate that and hear about, I don't know, a month, month and a half ago, we actually released a dev diary on, on Dead End. If you go out and look for it, um, it's available in the Facebook community. Um, we released it and it's called Traumatic Damage. And we talk about there a completely new way of handling damage where now instead, you no, know, you don't get to soak wounds um, unless it's an, an unarmed attack, which... Zombies are zombies are always are weaponized, armed. so they are always considered armed. Um, but unless it's an unarmed attack, you can't soak the damage. So that's step one. Step two was every time you are wounded, you're rolling in on the injury chart. Yeah. But because we know that that gritty damage from savage rolls can be fairly punishing, you know we we've played enough of those games and we've seen how that injury table can really kind of double dip when you combine that with the wound penalties. We've lifted the wound penalty out. Your player oh. character does not suffer wound penalties at all, ever in all of Dead End. However. But they do absolutely <laughs> pick up injuries which are going to affect them. You know, suddenly you're at a penalty because you only have one arm or yeah. your your pace is reduced because you, you've taken, you know, a hit to the I like knee. That. I, 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 that's kind of what we did in Buccaneer with Take the Leg was I want thematically for there to be more one-legged players. It's a pirate game, so of course. <laughs> how would you how would you incentivize that behavior or mechanically steer it that way? And so we do it. We, we gave you the ability to swap out the death spiral for losing a limb and taking mm -hmm. those long-term penalties. And I think you said the same thing. By removing the penalties, those minuses, you're not getting worse and worse and worse in that regard. You're getting permanently worse, but you are. But because it is a gritty and there is no soak, that that that's a bit of counterbalance. Yes, uh, you can heal we, if you survive long enough. Right, and, and, and that's kind of one of those things where, <laughs> if you think about it, like whole seasons of survival horror shows are about can we nurse this character along long yeah. enough that they survive? Not oh, you had a good rest and hands were waved and you're back on and we're, you know. Yeah. Now to offset that, there were two other additional changes that had to be made. One was we had to rewrite the injury table. Um, yeah, we did the And the reason for that was as good as the injury table was that, that exists in Suede, one, it has a result on it that we didn't care about, the unmentionables. Yep. Um, that doesn't have a bearing on our game, so we wanted to remove that. And we had lost from Realms of Cthulhu that you took a small hit and died. We lost that. 
So now we've replaced, and there's a couple of instant death injuries that you can roll on that table, where if you roll the wrong dice combination, you don't go to incapacitation. That injury results in instant death for the character. Um, we also had to add in something that um, we've never talked about yet, and that's where you actually have the ability where if you're going for natural healing, yeah. you're in a dirty world oh, now. Yeah. So now you can get infections, and you can actually pick up what we call the festering wound rule. Mm. And this becomes similar to, I believe it was Aelin, where at the start of a session, you make a dice roll and find out that in that session, your character's going to die. As a player, you're now forearmed with the information that your character dies in this session. And that's cool. And now you get to role play out what right? that looks like. It makes you, it significant. And, and it's something that when we, when we first started talking about it, we realized not that we wanted that mechanic, but where we started talking about it is when you think back on all of the zombie movies that you've ever seen, there's that character that starts to get sick and dies. And you know. And then hides it from the other mm -hmm. uh, survivors or is very public with the other survivors and you know is going to self-sacrifice. And we wanted to give players that option to play those storylines, that myriad of what would you do in that situation and then vicariously, what would your character do in that situation? Right, and that's, and that's the thing. Like, I think that bridging the idea back you know, to SWAT, we wanted mechanics that evoked what this is supposed to feel like. And I think that does it for zombie horror. Like, that's a trope of that system. It's not, everyone uses tropes anymore. It's like negative, pejorative word. No, tropes are storytelling techniques. Cliché is not always a bad word. Trope is not always... In fact, it's rarely a bad word. And to be it, fair, it's an expectation. It's an yes. If, yes. If, if, you, if you're selling your product as a Tolkien-esque mm. fantasy, and you don't have elves facing orcs, right? sure, that's a trope of fantasy. But if you didn't have it, you're not telling a Tolkien-esque fantasy. Exactly. And, and that's the same thing. Like, you know, and, and then just like you know, we threw in mechanics for like describing it cinematically... See, Cinemax, we, it's selling another word. I need to, like, filmic. But, you know, in terms of film and pan and zoom, I think you guys are touching on that. One, horror is random and brutal, and you have that with this deck. Um, two, you do have those tropes of, yeah, your time is limited, you know it, find a graceful exit, or don't. Because, I mean, you, you look at any of the ma in major properties, they all have those stories. And that's what that's about. It's not just about, oh, we, we threw zombies in because zombies are interesting now. No, 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 no. The, you know, it's more than we have now in the market. So I, I, think, I think it would be groundbreaking. And I, want, I just want to point out, like, the last little point on this is the, um, I don't even know what the mechanic is yet, but in Sounds Like Crows, the guys who are running that actual play podcast for Deadlands, uh, Caleb, the game master, has, he just mentioned it to the characters. He's like, as they're getting their, their action deck cards, he's, you know, he'll, he'll bribe them, tempt them with the devil, basically saying, I will give you this benefit in the game, and it's usually significant, if you let me write that card in my little black book here. He hasn't explained what that bet really means. But I like what you, you said something similar with this deck you've created on this card is no longer in rotation if it ends up here at the table. And that it seems to me that those could be similar. That there is this historical record keeping that happens, that the, the deck... Isn't the same deck every time because cards are getting pulled out or cards are on the table? I love that mechanic. That is unique. 
Uh, it really lends itself. And I, I'm to... just going to point out if a Joker comes out of the initiative phase, cards that are turned face up in the center of the table for the infestation deck are not part of that reshuffle. Ooh. And if a yeah, reshuffle active, yeah. and if a reshuffle is triggered by the infestation deck, any card that is an active initiative card is also not reshuffled. So if you have an active initiative card in front of you and Mabel does an action that causes her to draw from that infestation deck and she draws one of the cards that does something major and forces a reshuffle, all the other cards are picked up, but the active initiative cards are not. So again, cards go out of circulation for periods of time with this. And it was... It was, that was probably my biggest balance hurdle, was finding a way to make it so that when that moment happens and those reshuffles are triggered, the players don't necessarily feel punished by it happening, but it becomes something interesting and unique that, again, makes every single replay a unique experience. I think think it'll be groundbreaking. I think that the, uh, it's a bold move. Haven't seen it. It's definitely not easy to do. I mean, you know, the fact that um, you're fundamentally changing, you know, a core mechanic in a very interesting way. In a way that I think, I, I like it in the same sense that I think it's also thematic for zombies uh, and post-apoc, where the history, the narrative of how you've gotten here matters in those settings. And that's kind of what you're doing in a smaller way with the cards, is that card coming up five rounds ago or whatever, it's still here. It's not reshuffled. Your reality is being profoundly affected by five rounds ago, which I think, in general, Savage Worlds is a very short memory. Benny's given it an even shorter memory. Yes. Literally, something that just happened, that just got said, did not happen because a player goes, dink, here's a Benny. So I think that adds this memory and this journaling, almost, to the game, which I want to play. I mean, that's I want to see how that works. I want to see what stories change out of that. We- we have players that are upset when they have to miss a game. Yeah. Yeah, people people talk about the, the horror of real life happening and not being mm-hmm. able to be in on the next session. Um, but I, I will also say, for those who are hearing this and are worried that you're going to end up with this massive stack of cards active in the center of the table that are negatively affecting you, don't worry. We have a mechanic that keeps track of how many cards are out there. And really bad stuff happens, and then all of those get shuffled away right. when you reach a certain point. We don't want it. We don't want those cards coming out and being active in the center of the table and being out of rotation to be something that ends up being so defining to your experience that you end up in, a, in another death spiral of having too many active negative things. We don't want another death spiral of. Well, all the good cards are gone from the initiative deck. So we were cognizant of that as well. And there's also kind of a self-correction mechanic in there that does something you would expect in a zombie game. It brings out more zombies. There's also a there's also a balance um, for the active cards that players can do as well. Those, these cards are not like, I flip the... You know, some of them are, you flip it over, and there's really just nothing you can do. Like, for example, like the Blizzard, as an example. There's really nothing you can do about a Blizzard. There's no action you can take that's going to get rid of a Blizzard. Just like but, your life, right? To be fair, there's another card in the deck that cancels that, though. Yeah, there's a card that does it. But for some of the other ones that are just environmental-style hazards or just things that are going on around you... 
players can actively go out and spend actions to negate a card mm -hmm. to get it off the table. Because like Dave said, we have that built-in mechanic that if, if enough bad things have happened, something catastrophically bad will happen. So, you know, a, a player can say, well, I'm going to get rid of this. We, we used an example earlier, like the, uh, the zombie that's following you that's screaming. Well, how do you stop that? You can put a bullet in its head, or you can, you know, jump in the car and drive. You know, zombies shuffle. You you run two miles away, and I don't care how loud it's screaming, it's not drawing zombies to you, it's drawing zombies to it. And each of the cards is very specific. It'll say, leave the area. It'll say, this card can be cleared by, and then it gives you some options. And we also fully expect the GM to be able to make some of those judgment calls at the table. Um, one of the, the best things we saw happen in the playtest is it's not an official rule, but we already have a GM who's now house-ruled something that if at the end of a game session a card was face-up as active, that gets jotted down, and the next session that card is up face active oh, okay. and active yeah. again that because you pick up in that same mm -hmm. moment. And that was yeah. a house rule that... that that she came up with on her own that we absolutely love and it'll probably go into the book as an optional thing because we didn't we didn't envision you having enough of a cliffhanger where you'd want those cards to stay in, in, yeah, in effect. Cause, yeah, because yeah, we end on cliffhangers. We play for two hours and then, well, we're zonked. Jared has to get up at three in the morning for the Saturday morning meeting. <laughs> and it made perfect sense because, you know, we've all had those times where we had to stop a year... The combat's about to start, but you've got to call it. Everyone's got to leave. So you call it next session. You start off right there. Then again, you ended your session on the end. This happened and we're done. And you picked up and it's a day later. So your GM can say, well, we've moved ahead of this. So these cards don't apply anymore, you know, and or we're starting right back up. So, yeah, these cards just, you know, you were in a field of bloody bodies, they didn't just disappear because we stopped playing for a time. Yeah. You're still in a field of bodies. They didn't go anywhere. The, the body fairy didn't come pick them up. And I take so much, I take so much advantage yeah. of who wants to remind us of what happened last week? Yeah, and that's, that's again, that's one of those things that, that's gone into the book is this idea that, you know, for a Benny, a player gets to recap the previous session. And the nice part with that is Bennies and Suede became a lot more powerful than yeah. they had been under Deluxe. So there's a lot more options that players have. And unfortunately, because we removed that soak mechanic from the game, players were like, well, why would I want Bennies? And then they started to realize, with especially with Suede and the new options, we see more Bennies being spent in oh, dead yes. ends than we ever saw under the previous version. And so now we're in a position where... Now we have other ways for you to earn bennies by doing that because we want you to spend them. We want those interesting moments. Right, and, and yeah, a, a small point. Like, I think the only downside to bennies that's changed, the only counterbalance is that now spending a benny is, does not guarantee you a better outcome because you can crit fail. Crit yeah. fails cannot be bennied again. Yeah. But versus all the other bonuses you can get. But the, uh, I mean, we got to, we were all off late for our next events. So let's not... So you've introduced an absolutely profound new mechanic for Savage Worlds. When can people buy this? How is this getting produced? What's the websites? When's the Kickstarter? All that good information. So 
absolutely you want you're going to want to check check out atomicninja.com um make sure you're following the savage world's gm podcast we talk about it pretty well there the free jump starts already out the jump start is absolutely available on drive through rpg and you can find that under dead space and jump start or just search for atomic ninja and you can see that full catalog like i said an adventure uh, a month is coming out in, in that as well um and there are actually, there's already a dead end adventure available in the free Savage Daddy One-Shot Wonders. So you can actually grab that along with the, the jump start. And you'll have two separate adventures to play with the dead end system. As for when it's going to come out, we should be in a position later this year to make a pretty big announcement and get that into the hands of our players as quickly as we're able because we have now reached that saturation point where we've done as much work on this as we really feel like we can before we're going to start having that problem where we spoil it by doing too much. So we've really reached that point. Now we're just doing the last few final polishing steps on it to make sure that when you get it in your hand, it's the best version of it we could offer you. I don't want to offer people a dead end that doesn't have great art, that doesn't have the layout. So those steps are going to have to be taken appropriately. Well, thanks for uh, debuting some awesome breaking news on the Savage Cast. Well, guys, we'll have you back on when that Kickstarter launches. I have an idea of when that date might be, so we'll fit you in the schedule. And uh, we appreciate it. So this has been Christopher Landauer. David Scott. Jeff Friedman. Mabel Friedman. From Gen Con 2019. Stay savage, guys. Thank you for listening to Savage Cast episode 36. Check out Atomic Ninja Studios, the Savage World's GM podcast, and the Dead End Jumpstart all from the links in our post. You can find us on Instagram at RM Savages, brand new account, Twitter at RM Savages, Facebook at RM Savages, you see the pattern, and also on Facebook at Savage Cast RPG and slash groups Savage Cruise. We are already at 92 cruisers, and we can only guarantee our sub $600 price for the first 100. So if you haven't booked yet, get on it. Shane Hensley, Carl Kiesler, Cheyenne Wright, Jody Black, Clint Black, Eric Lamoureux, and the Atomic Ninja folks are finalizing their reservation. Derek Johnson, Dustin Hatchett, Matt Buckley, Tim Early, Daryl Hayhurst, Todd Evans, Christian Boggs, James Arell, and of course Savage Mommy and Savage Bull are all already signed up to run games for you guys so uh, join us at savagecruise.com for that and otherwise we will see you soon with episode 37 may your dice always explode